since then. In fact, it took me a while actually. When I first heard Frank Zappa, I was yeah. I was I was offended because that's what I thought I needed to be. But then uh, when I really learned about him and behind the music, that's that's kind of what turned me uh, around on that. Yeah. yeah, my son is my son is way too young for that, but something that does skirt the the edge there and actually that we we do both enjoy uh we became humongous fans of hamilton and so you know even though you know i I moved out of new york a long time ago and with that i'm not exposed to as much broadway stuff as i i felt like i was growing up but you know hamilton did come here to my house (laughs) and i am I mean, I became a complete American, you know, history, like Revolutionary War history buff because of it. And we will listen to it. And there's some some inappropriate words, which yes. my, my son, he's at that age where it's funny. And he's like, oh, my God, they said that, you know, it's fine. He, he, he understands. And even some of the things that they're singing about, um, he, I think, knows a couple, but doesn't know yeah. all of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. yet. But we both, uh, you know, we, we, we definitely enjoy that um, together. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. We're getting off the Springsteen bandwagon today, though he will come up because he always does. And we are on the Star Trek Enterprise. Maybe my guest has a Starfleet t-shirt on. Uh, Writer, uh, guest, uh, Adina... Mignona, 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 I'm trying to get it, is joining me. (laughs) Adina, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, uh, we are, this is a connection. We gotten together and um, I had said, hey, if you want to talk music, I'd love to have you on the podcast. And I also want to talk about your book. And you were kind enough to say yes. So thank you so much for being here. Start us off with your elevator pitch. Tell us a little about yourself. Well, As you mentioned, I'm a writer, I'm a science fiction writer, but more than that, I'm an engineer with a background in physics, but I work in the space industry. That's what I've done for the last uh, about 25 years. And yeah, my life is mostly about space and science and science fiction, but I do love music. Music has always been a a part of my life as well. Uh, Although I think since I became a parent, not as big a part, (laughs) I have a keyboard sitting there that doesn't get a lot of use. That is not an unusual statement. Um, mm-hmm. I um, I did not see Bruce Springsteen live till 2002 because uh, I moved to Dallas in '86, and during the '90s, anytime he you know he came like on the Tom Joad tour or the reunion tour, I had family crap to do, mm-hmm. and I didn't get to go. So yes, it is um, because. Getting a babysitter, lining up times to go mm-hmm. see the local band at the bar is a, just a little tougher to do than it yes. is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. I totally get that. Um, so I, um, I had a guest recently on um, 
in uh, Heather, who is interested in space law. So, yes, she says that is a up and coming field and she was fascinated by it and and she's actually doing a lot of work on space law. Um, You talk to me a little bit more about your day gig. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing. Sure. So most of the time that I've spent in the space industry, I've worked on what we call ground software, command and control software. So if you can picture, uh, if you see on TV, like a NASA control center, where you see a room full of people, they're all in front of computers and they're, they're staring at screens. Well, the stuff that they're staring at, at the screen, that kind of software that they're using to talk to the satellites, that is mostly what I've done over the years. Not exclusively. I've In addition to software, I've done what we call systems engineering, which is a more broader aspect of putting a satellite together. And that's actually what I am currently doing right now. I'm the lead systems engineer of a satellite project that should launch in a few years to do commercial resurfacing missions. Uh, My company, I I work for, for North Grumman, actually. And over the last few years, we've had a couple missions that went out and connected to an existing satellite to extend its life. And so I'm now working on missions like that to do similar things, but in a a new, unique, more interesting way. So yes, that's what I do by day. (laughs) Well, because I always get a kick out of this. One of the things I loved, and I'm sure it was totally wrong, but in the TV show Medium, Mm -hmm. um, the spouse, the guy played a engineer. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's, and I always love the joke. It's not rocket science and you go, yes, that is what I do. It is rocket science. That is what I do. So I, I think that's, that's fascinating that um, because it's, you know, it's all computers and it's math mm-hmm. and it's the, and, and it is the, um, the minutia of every little step that allows this miraculous thing to happen. Yes, it, it is. But it's all, it's actually funny because within the industry, uh, I don't consider myself really a rocket scientist right? because I don't actually work on rockets. I work on satellites. Yes. But then what's really funny is other friends of mine who I, I consider them rocket scientists. They don't okay. <laughs> consider themselves rocket scientists because uh, several of my friends do work on the more propulsive elements of a satellite. A lot of satellites have thrusters on them. And so my friends who work on that, I I call them the rocket scientists and they're like, nope, still, we don't work on rockets. And then my friends who work on the rockets, unless they're the ones actually working on the rocket fuel, they also don't consider themselves rocket scientists. You know, it's one of those things where um, I remember when I was working for a company and we implemented SAP. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, and it was very quickly. It's SAP. It's not SAP. You know, mm-hmm. that is the correct term. And and once you get used that, I go back to when I was in high school. I worked at Howard Johnson's as a waiter, and mm-hmm. they they quickly. It is not a Coke. It is a cola. You know, words <laughs> yep. matter. Yeah. And so I I, I really do. I am not, I, I, I am slightly embarrassed that I made the rocket scientist joke, but I also get that, that I mm-hmm. understand that if you're in that world, it's like, no, 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 that's not um, like, uh, I had a good friend who's an attorney and he played Trivial Pursuit with a bunch of other attorneys. Mm-hmm. And it was like, what, 
why did Al Capone go to jail? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and he's like tax evasion. No tax fraud. <laughs> well, we're, words matter. And it was actually yeah. funny because I, I do at, at my day job, I do pay attention to how we use language because it, you know, people think it is all math and numbers and really so much of it is person to person communication and making sure that we are adequately communicating because if we mess up, if we aren't speaking the same language, if we mess up, there can be some serious consequences. So just the other day, uh, and because I'm known for being particular in my use of language at work, someone else actually just pointed out my use of we, we have suppliers, we have vendors, we have subcontractors, and I've been using the term vendor very loosely. And he called me out on that and saying, no, 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 <laughs> it's a supplier, not a vendor. And uh, in the context that he was talking about, he was, he was correct. But yeah, it really, communication and those language skills uh, are, are very important. And when I look to hire new engineers, I, I do look for those kinds of skills as well. Those really important. Yeah, like Adina one of the things early when I was uh, one of the first jobs I had when I quit college was I was a, a dispatcher for a trucking industry, mm-hmm. you know, and you learned very quickly to not to say correct, not right. Mm-hmm. Because yes. right means a direction mm-hmm. versus, you know, correct. And the, you don't, you, we try not to say they are a good agent, but because mm-hmm. then the word, but, or however wipes out everything you do. And so like the military teaches you to say, not use those words because it can be very confusing. Um, mm-hmm. I had, there are consumers and clients often in, in, in especially in industry that is a computer where consumers are using the software you design mm-hmm. and your yes. clients buy the software so that their customers, their the consumers could use. So we had to use that language. Absolutely. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned the right thing because I have a, I, I have a couple uh, children and my, my youngest son, he's three and he is learning the difference between left and right. And so when we're talking through that, I very consciously, when I want to say, yep, that was correct. I, I say correct. I don't say he was right. I say he was correct. So I don't confuse him Yes. after he just, you know, you know, he said, this is my left foot. I'm like, yes, that is correct. So, cause if I said, yes, that is right. I just don't want to confuse him, but it, yes. <laughs> yes, it is. It, it becomes an Abbott and Costello, mm-hmm. right? No, right. I thought you said it was like, no, it's it, exactly. yes, it is, exactly. That is so funny. Um, so I, I did not warn you beforehand that we would go off on tangents, but <laughs> okay. as you can see, yes, I love this. Um, I always like to start at the beginning. So talk to me growing up. What, where did you grow up and what kind of music did your family listen to? Sure. So I'm a child of the 80s. You know, I was born in 74. So I grew up basically in the 80s on Long Island. And my family was not a super, super musical family. But it was there. And I feel like there's always uh, a point in time where you have a musical discovery with your family. So back in the day, you know, my parents had albums and there was like a chest full of albums. And at some point I was old enough to learn how to take an album out, load it up in the record player. And by doing this, you, you discover your parents' music. And I think then you start to discover your own. And 
so I had my, my mother's music, which was a lot of Broadway shows, you know, I, and some of the older ones, Oklahoma, South Pacific, South Pacific, I can barely say that, uh, shows like that. And then my dad, which had a lot of classical music, uh, he was also of the generation, uh, you know, Buddy Holly, uh, that kind of music. And then between the two of them, I think they accumulated together music like Billy Joel. And I think anyone growing up on Long Island in the 80s, you know, there are certain, you know, musicians, artists that they're just, they're part of the culture. Uh, Billy Joel was one of them. I think even Bruce Springsteen was part of that. There are a yes. whole set that everyone would recognize. And I, I definitely grew up with, with all of that and had that, you know, discovery journey, which in thinking about preparing for this, this show, I was thinking about that and thinking how my kids don't have the same kind of experience because my CD collection, I don't even have a record collection. I lost my record collection years ago and I don't have a cassette collection anymore, but my CD collection has been packed away in boxes for years. So it's really everything that we're doing digitally, which is not the same experience that I had growing up. And it's kind of, it's kind of, I don't know if it's, it's better or worse. <laughs> it's certainly different. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner. And Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. 
Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Well, you know, Idina, I, I agree with you. I, I, um, there was another podcast, um, Skip and Josh podcast, where they said, name your seven favorite album covers. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I found, uh, you know, uh, Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass, uh, Whipped Cream and Other Delights. Mm-hmm. And it's got this picture of a girl that's got whipped cream covering her body (laughs) and i said young jesse jackson knew there was something about that album Mm -hmm. cover that spoke to him you know (laughs) in in ways uh and um it it is we lose that that going through i i think of the almost famous you know scene where she gives him his older sister gives us an albums and he's flipping through Mm -hmm. that and um we also, and I'm going to sound like a grumpy old man, and I, I love the fact that I can go to E Street Radio and hear Bruce Springsteen. Mm-hmm. Right now, they've got, you know, they're doing a Rolling Stones channel. There is a, a Beatles channel. There's, you know, during the summer, they had a Beach Boys channel. Uh, you can do the 70s. You can do 80s. You can do 90s. Um, and that's great to be able to that. Mm-hmm you know specialized but there was something really beautiful about having an am radio or in your case an fm radio mm-hmm. where you weren't sure what you're going to get you may get right. hip hop you may get a pop song you may get you know a little bit of heavier rock song and and just there was a a top 40 that was a diversity mm-hmm. that um i don't think we get now no we definitely don't i, I remember getting my first radio that was mine i was I think it was the summer I turned eight and I think it was a gift from one of my grandmothers and the radio station that I tuned to initially, it was, I think it started that summer was Z100. It was like from the top of the empire state building. It was what they said. And they played a combination of current rock at the time and some classic rock ish. And so, I mean, I have memories of them playing the Eurythmics, Steve Miller band, which also oddly, I have the same memories of those same songs, not just coming through the radio, but those are the years that we went to the roller rink too. And I spent a lot of time those summers at the roller rink. And yeah, I remember roller skating to, you know, Sweet Dreams by the Eurythmics and Abracadabra by Steve Miller band and, and, and that group of songs and that, you know, all of that stuff permeated my childhood <laughs> and yeah. And, and great. Right, you didn't know what you were going to get. It wasn't up to you it was what it was. Yeah. Commercials uh, in between. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. I love that. Um, So when you started going into high school, where did your musical tastes roll to? Oh, wow. So between junior high and high school, that kind of time period, actually very heavy metal ish. Okay. Uh, I became a a pretty significant Iron Maiden fan. And and to this day, uh, they are one of the bands that I still love, although I didn't follow them, you know, throughout their whole journey after um, Seven Son of a Seven Son. So I was there for, you know, with, uh, I mean, Peace of Mind was a little, I was a little too young, but I kind of caught up to that. But Power Slave, Somewhere in Time, 
seven son of a seven son, that group has always stayed with me my, my entire life. And when you mentioned, you know, album art um, a few minutes ago, uh, part of it was the album art. My room was plastered with Iron Maiden posters mm-hmm. uh, too. And it, it's kind of funny. One of the reasons is there was like, to me, a science fiction, a strong science fiction tie-in with the band, their lyrics, their art. And what I've learned about them since, and, and some of the you know, some of the stuff behind the songs is, yep, there is actually some science fiction tie. <laughs> so it, it yeah. kind of makes some, some sense, but then somewhere in, in high school though, I did, and it was mostly because some friends introduced me to, uh, I became more interested in the progressive rock from the early seventies, like yes, Emerson, Lake and Palmer, King Crimson, that stuff. And, and that followed me into college, including Frank Zappa too. Frank Zappa became a big part of, of that and he was one of the few artists where it really even just wasn't about the music, but his personality. Yeah. Uh, it was one of the things that attracted me to, to, to the music. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, and I, I remember loving Kansas and sticks, mm-hmm. you know, yes. in the seventies, same kind of science fiction mm-hmm. thing, journey, uh, you know, Boston having the cover of that, um, always was a big science fiction fan and so i want to talk to you a little bit about that because um i remember like often you know i grew up i was born in 59 so i graduated high school in 77 so the -hmm. middle 70s you know where um lost in space and star Mm -hmm. trek were you know on syndication and uh trying to like i could not have one of the fantasies I had as a kid was to be rich enough that you could go buy a projector and you could buy all the Star Trek film <laughs> reels so that you could watch a Star Trek episode awesome. anytime. Mm-hmm. You know, um, no idea if you tried to go back and tell 10 year old Jesse that, no, you can watch Star Trek anytime you want. There's yep. this magical divorce. <laughs> device you just pull it up and you watch it and like no that's that's crazy mm-hmm. um big uh, loved isaac asimov uh, mm-hmm. you know i just arthur c clark ray bradbury uh, but especially isaac asimov and robert heinlein just i found the, the what heinlein called the the you know the juvenile novels and Asimov's mm-hmm. collection of short stories, and 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 where his introductions were sometimes just as entertaining as the short stories. Yeah. So I take it you talk to me a little about your growing up in the science fiction world. Yeah. So I think you know my dad was one of the catalysts there, just because he was a fan, and so it was there. So we had you know there were Isaac Asimov novels or the collections of short stories, just just there. And then, yes, Star Trek was just kind of a constant presence in the background. And it just kind of resonated with me, especially when Star Trek The Next Generation came on air. Uh, For the first season, I wouldn't have considered myself a Trekkie then, but I did watch every single episode in its original airing that first season, except for one, the one where Tasha Yar died. We went out to dinner. We never went out to dinner. We rarely went out to dinner, but we went out to dinner that night because my mother had hurt her hand. So we went out to dinner and I, I missed that <laughs> in its original showing, but between the, the first and second season is when I, I, some kind of switch went off in my brain. And that's, that's when I became a Trekkie and I've been a, a diehard Trekkie 
every day since. I mean, as you can see, I'm just ran- randomly lounging around in like a Star Trek yes. <laughs> t-shirt right here. That was just completely random, but not uh, unexpected. Well, next to me on my little computer is here's my little Star Trek glasses from nice. the movie. Uh, yeah. And so I have a old school communicator at my desk at work that routinely I would flip up and hear it chirps. Awesome. Um, in fact, I was doing a podcast earlier and uh, someone texted me and my text notification is the original communicator chirp. And nice. so, and the guy was like, oh, Star Trek. Do we want to talk about Star Trek for a few minutes? I'm like, oh, we can. Uh, so, in fact, you know, my wife found this. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I just was fascinated by, and you talked about loving Frank Zappa. I, I adored Isaac Asimov's personality. Mm-hmm. You know, he. You know, and and whether he was that way or not, but the persona he created in those introductions and of the mm-hmm. short stories and his autobiography just made me someone that I just this is somebody I would want to hang with. That yeah. this is someone, you know, often when you do that fantasy game, like okay, anyone alive and dead, you know, alive or dead, you know, dinner party, who would you want? And I'm like, oh, you know, I would want Asimov. I would love to just have Isaac just tell stories in a whole court. Yeah, he was just so prolific. So I think he was who he was. I don't think that you know the persona that we saw. I, I think that was really genuinely him. I don't think yeah, he. Yeah new, or I don't think he could be another way. And I, and I get that from just how much he wrote, not just science fiction, but just wrote, he wrote letters. I mean, I think one of the books I have on the shelf is a collection of his letters to, you know, fan mail letters and, and yes. stuff. So I think he was just him. I did happen to see him at a convention in New York city a couple of years before he passed. And unfortunately, even though I was a fan of his, I don't think I appreciated, you know, I, I was young, I was a teenager. So yeah. I, I don't think I really appreciated the moment um, when I was in front of him. And I, I wish right. I had, you know, going back years to when I was a kid and teenager, I, I wish I had appreciated those kinds of things, you know, much more because yeah, he was a, a amazing brain. <laughs> I, I have one fun moment. Um, he was on a talk show here in Dallas mm-hmm. and um I got in to the talk show. They were, you know, open mm-hmm. calls. And I, I was able to tell him, I think it was Nemesis was the, uh, the standalone novel, but he had just done a standalone novel. And I told him that I said, I really enjoyed the novel. Not that I didn't like all the foundation books or the mm-hmm. robot books, but it was kind of fun just to pick up a book that was standalone. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, I will tell you, I enjoyed writing a standalone novel. It was a lot of fun just to write that. And I was like, oh, okay, good. I got that. And so I have that. I don't have a camera or picture of us Mm -hmm. together, but I have that memory of getting to talk to him over the radio, you know, and the phone call. And so, yeah, just truly um, one of the icons of my youth Mm -hmm. and uh, continue. And I am I am very excited about Foundation. You know, mm-hmm. coming up, I, I'm hoping that it's going to be good. Yes. And, uh, you know, so uh, and I am 
I am tempted to go back and reread the foundation, you know, especially the original trilogy. Uh, so just to get, but then part of me is like, no, let's just see what they do where I won't hold mm-hmm. it against there. I, I struggle with the whole concept of rereading because there's just yeah. so much new stuff I haven't read yet. And it's all a matter of just, there's so much, there, there's finite amounts of time. And, and yes. do I want to reread something or do I want to do something new? And it's, that's a constant struggle. <laughs> it, it is that. And there is, um, you know, a few years ago, I, I took time and it's not science fiction, but Lawrence Block is one of my favorite mystery writers. And he has a series of novels all about Matthew Scudder, who is a private detective that mm-hmm. ends up becoming an alcoholic. And there's this whole journey and in the original first four or five novels weren't serialized. But then as he got further, he self-contained novels, but a continuing story. And I read all of them at one time mm-hmm. and enjoyed the heck out of it, though I did feel a little guilty that there's all this new books out there that are going mm-hmm. like, you know, but I was like, no, no, no. It's, I'm thinking this is, you know, kind of what to do. Um, I take it there. I had interest in science fiction, but I never had the science bug. Um, I, I was not very good at science. I, I was a horrible speller. So when I was trying to take biology in college, I didn't understand any of the words they were saying about mm-hmm. all that. And I couldn't read them and understand them. And, and so um, I tend to be more, um, I didn't know this at the time, but that's how I became a podcaster is I love stories <laughs> and I love writing and I love, you know, telling stories. But you had the science bug, I guess. Yep, science and engineering. And uh, I'd say I, I'm more of an engineer than a, a pure scientist. And that's because, you know, I, I went and got a four-year degree in school and then went out into industry as opposed to going on for a PhD and to do all those, those like research science-y things. But, but yeah, I've always been, since I was little, always been um, attuned, is that the word, to science and engineering and technology. Again, a lot of this, like a lot of things come from my dad. My dad was an engineer. And I think just because I was around it and then I had a proclivity to it. So it just kind of fed on itself. So yeah, with the exception of of one year uh, when I thought I was going to be a musician, because I think everyone goes through that phase for for one year. Yes, I was always going to do something science or technology. (laughs) What What kind of engineering degree? So, well, actually my degrees are in physics and astronomy. So okay. I, I did, I went to the university of Maryland where you could do uh, multiple degrees at the same time. Okay. And because there was a lot of overlap in the math and some of the physics background. So I did astronomy and, and physics. And then several years later, which is actually only a few years ago from right now, I did a master's in computer science. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, you know, I was originally going to go for aerospace engineering, but the time that I was starting college, the industry hadn't quite recovered from the Challenger disaster. Okay. Uh, I mean, we'd started launching again. We, the, the shuttle was flying, but things were not, eh. So I was very, very nervous that if I go major in aerospace, that I'm going to get locked into something very specific. And well, what happens if the industry doesn't do well? Um, mm. You know, to me, the worst thing, as much as I like airplanes. The aero side is kind of cool. I'm yeah. a space person. I'm, I'm right. not an aero person. I'm a space person. So my high school physics professor, he had degrees, both undergraduate and graduate in physics, and he had done all kinds of things during the course of his life. So I looked at that and I was like, ah, 
Okay. So if I major in physics, I'm not locking myself into anything. I could go to graduate school in anything, or I could do so many different things. And that was very appealing. And I got lucky in, in two big respects is one, I went to the university of Maryland, which was a great school for physics. I had no idea at the time. And two, I liked it Yeah, because <laughs> uh, physics is not an easy major. And if you don't like it, you're, you're not, you're not getting through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I had friends who were engineering majors and, um, and they used to always joke and they knew they were being sarcastic, but, um, you know, what would we do if we were majoring in business? What would we Mm -hmm. do with all that free time we have, (laughs) you know, (laughs) um, you know, I, um, for you reminding me something. So uh, I had scored really high in my um, PSAT on mathematics. Mm-hmm. And so I had one of my favorite teachers that um, I was lucky enough to go back and see probably about 10 years ago. She had, she was, she had retired, then she came back mm-hmm. and I went back to my high school and got to see Mrs. Jacobs and told her that, you know, all those Oprah stories about a teacher that changed your life. Mm -hmm. I said, you were that to me. You, you made me feel special. And I love that. And so she had said, wow, you, you seem to have an aptitude for math. You should go into computing science because Mm -hmm. then you get to play with computers and not just do math. And uh, so I did, I went to McNeese state and I, I signed up for computer science, but back then we were still doing keyboards and the punch cards Oh wow! And I, yep. and I was a lousy <laughs> typist. And so I would do all my programming and then run through errors, kick it out, kick it out. And just after all, like, I cannot stand this crap. No, mm-hmm. I've got to change something else. And I wonder if, if it had just been like two years later where things were on a screen where you could see, mm-hmm. would I have stuck with that and would have had a totally different career? So I I don't know. That's yeah. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. I tell people too, because when I was in in college, that was still before we had this explosion of discovering all the exoplanets that are out there. In fact, I had professors in college that didn't believe that planets around other stars was really a thing, let alone as common as we know it is now. Had it been, had a, I think again, a couple years later, and I might've gone to graduate school to really do astronomy and, and study that because right. uh, I loved everything about the exoplanets and studying that. But yeah, I was just kind of a couple years, couple years off. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, do talk about your time you wanted to be a musician since this is a music podcast that we're going to get back to more Star sure. Trek and science discussions. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So I don't know what it was. I think probably just, you know, the age, but uh, seventh, eighth grade around then I decided I wanted to play guitar. And and that wasn't my first instrument. I did clarinet when I was in elementary school. And then I, I did saxophone in junior high school. So yeah, I got the guitar bug. Oh, and we, and I took piano lessons for a couple of years at home too. And yep, I was going to be, I was going to be a rock star with that guitar. <laughs> I was going to study music or I was going to play keyboards and, you know, Def Leppard didn't have a keyboardist, so they needed a female keyboardist. So I was going to do that. So, yeah. So there was a year that I was, I was obsessed with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, it lasted a year. Although I still, after, after I came back to my science and engineering and, and my reality, um, I mean, I played still for a while, never well, <laughs> Yeah. I never stuck with one instrument long enough to actually like really get good. And 
I think what, you know, one of my biggest regrets about high school, which I came to realize like in my senior year was when I went from junior high to high school, I stopped playing an instrument in school. I mean, I still took some piano lessons at home. I still took guitar lessons, but I'd stopped playing saxophone and come my senior year, really all my friends were either in band or orchestra. And mm-hmm. so I was kind of like left out. Yeah. Uh, I had my, my eighth period free, the last period of the day free. And my best friend at the time, she was in orchestra and she was the first viola chair. And there were like five viola violaists and 30 violinists. And I was hanging around orchestra anyway. And so I asked, can I, can I join, even though I don't know how to play any of these instruments. And the orchestra director was like, well, yes, but you have to choose viola. (laughs) You can't choose violin and your friend has to help you. Uh, catch up. And I, I knew how to read music. So I wasn't hundred percent starting from scratch. I had a little calluses on my fingers. So, but it was still terrible. Um, I didn't practice well, you know, anywhere near as much as I should have been, but it was kind of fun. Um, but yeah, so, you know, there was always something like that. And then when I went to college, I played a little saxophone again, but it was terrible. I didn't mm-hmm. practice enough. <laughs> I had a terrible instrument because I had a rented saxophone and rented okay. instruments like that are the, are the worst. I was taking in addition to, so I was in what we called, it was a jazz lab band. So for one credit, you're in this band uh, and we, you know, we were doing jazz and I was able to take some lessons from our instructor on the side, because I, again, most of the people in jazz lab band, these were people who had been playing for years and years, and many of them were music majors. So I was just kind of like the, again, just the random person who didn't know how to play very well. And I remember at one point uh, I was struggling and he says, here, let me, let me test this. And he took my instrument and he couldn't get it to make a good sound. And that was when I realized, okay, yes, a lot of it is me, (laughs) but not completely. And, and that was one of the reasons why I felt like I wasn't getting better is because the instrument was just terrible. And I think that was my, that was when I was done with that. Just think, you know, if you had stuck with it and had a better Mm -hmm. instrument, after Clarence Clement died, you know, Bruce could have been saying, you know what we really need? I need a female saxophone player that's into physics and astronomy. Yeah. Hmm, you know, yep. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Um, the let's let's talk a little bit about your book. So. Sure. First, I you've 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 it sounds like you've enjoyed science fiction all your life and everything. Mm-hmm. So what a lot of people go, oh, I should write a book. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't I one of the best advice I, I've heard once someone and I wish I could remember which writer, but someone said, if you're serious about being a writer, you need to write X amount of times per day. Mm-hmm. And if you can't write that, then you should write down what are the things that are stopping you from writing that much a day? And you'll very quickly learn that you're just kidding yourself, that there is time to write if you want to. Um, so talk about writing and what, when did you get the bug? And, and let's just go through that process. Oh, sure. Well, I've had the bug for a very, very long time, definitely at least since college, but possibly even earlier. Yeah, I took like creative writing in high school and college. And and so somewhere there I had the bug, but it wasn't to write a book, actually. It was to write short stories. Uh, You know, that really my favorite Asimov 
are all of his short stories. And that is what has inspired me more than, than anything else. And so for the longest time, it was all about short stories. I'm going to write short stories. I'm going to get into, you know, Asimov's science fiction magazine and, and all of those. And I have started a lot of short stories. <laughs> I've, I've only finished a handful of them. I, I did sell one once several years ago, although I think it was, I was still for a little while I was using a pen name. Um, and yeah, so I sold one, but there's a, a month or a yearly, it's a contest officially mm-hmm. called NaNoWriMo. Okay. It stands for National Novel Writing Month, and it's every November. And I don't remember what year it started, like maybe 2004, 2005. I found out about it in 2009. And the whole idea is to write a 50,000 word novel in a month. So it's a contest, but it's, it's a contest against yourself. You're, you're, you're just challenging yourself. So I, I did it in 2009. Uh, it was the worst piece of crud I've ever written, <laughs> but ever since then, most years, more than not, I, I have participated in this and even throughout, I, I hadn't really planned on finishing a book, but this one that I started in 2012, I put it away for a few years, worked on some other things and then came back to it. And it just grew on me and and became what is now crazy, foolish robots. Uh, And more than that, what it became was uh, crazy, foolish robots is now the first in a planned series of four books from that original, original thing I did in in 2012. Um, And I'm so I'm madly working on, on book two right now. And I agree with that whole statement of if this is important to you, you will find the time. Yeah. Yeah. I have a full-time job. I'm married. I have kids. A couple years ago, I got my master's degree. You know, I, I've got yeah. a freaking full life and yet I yeah. find the time to write because to me, this is, it's, I have to, yeah. <laughs> I just have to. Yeah. Um, I've participated in NAPOD, pod, NAPA pod month, the same thing. The idea is to do a podcast every day mm-hmm. for the month of November mm-hmm. to, you know, and they stole this from the novel. I, so I did, <laughs> you know, they flat say, you know, this is the idea is to, for you to try to do a podcast every day mm-hmm. for the month of November to try to see what creative you'll come with and do that. Um, that's great. So you're, you're right ahead, skipping ahead. I'm not doing a trilogy. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, cause I always think of, um, uh, Piers Anthony making a joke originally mm-hmm. the Xanth was supposed to be a trilogy and then it ended up being forever mm-hmm. so you you have a theory with the story you want to tell mm-hmm. yeah and and why it's four instead of three I, I don't know just that's as I was when I realized it wasn't just going to be one and, right. and that was mostly because Again, I like the short forms better. And this is actually a fairly, a fairly short novel. It's about 40, you know, the first one is 47,000 words. And each one is going to be about, about 50, you know, okay. is my, my target, uh, which when I realized that one of my favorite novels ever, which is Hitchhiker's Guide to the Universe, it, it was like 46,000 and something. I almost thought it was going to be funny that if I like to match that word count. So I, I was actually thinking about trying to do that, but then I, I gave up on that because that would have been a little artificial and I didn't really want to 
to do that. But yeah, so I like that form. So once I realized it wasn't going to be just one really long book and just started, okay, well, what's the plot of one or what's the main thing in one, just four came out, you know, four, four, four worked for, for this. So what's the, give me the, the blurb on the Mm -hmm. back of the uh, book for my listeners. Yes. So Crazy Foolish Robots, it's a humorous science fiction novel about Ruby Palmer. She's 19 and she lives on a space station in the asteroid belt. She wants to get out. She wants to move on with her life. And unfortunately, it doesn't go the way she wants when she's kidnapped by a race of alien robots. Okay. (laughs) And she doesn't like robots, at least not at first. But she goes on to help them, becomes friends, and the rest you got to read about. <laughs> uh, that sounds great. That sounds wonderful. Um, absolutely. And I, like I said, I'll include a link uh, f- uh, to the Amazon link mm-hmm. uh, so that people can look into it. Um, what, what, what current or past science fiction series? We've already talked about Star Trek. I mm-hmm. um, are, are you enjoying? Lower Decks, are you enjoying, did you enjoy Picard? I mean, the other Star Discovery, Mm -hmm. are you enjoying Modern Trek? Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Um, Picard is so amazing. I'm one, I'm loving it all. I I really am. You know, okay. Yes. There's not every moment is perfect. That that's always going to be true, but in general, uh, yeah, Picard, I'm just so happy to see him back. Um, I was so happy. There was an episode again trying not to well it's been out for long enough yes, it, we it shouldn't spoil. be a spoiler yes. <laughs> but there was one episode with Riker and Troy yes oh it was it felt like coming home it did it it was just so wonderful so I've actually watched that episode three or four times already because I just loved it so much yeah um, but I'm enjoying discovery for there, there's so many new things they're doing, but the way they tied it in with the old without destroying the old was wonderful. I I thought it it did a lot of honor to the original series, but then they were able to take it in their new direction. That was fantastic. And Lower Decks is just fun. (laughs) It just truly is. It's just just, fun. It just is. So it doesn't take it serious, Mm -hmm. but it, 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 you know, and, and I love the premise, right. That it's, this is all the adventures that are happening off sign, you know, and there's mm-hmm. that great Babylon five episode. Um, and I'm drawing a blank on the, the where the, the, every, there's this huge space battle happening over, but, you know, J. Michael Scrivency focused on the two janitors. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I, I get that feeling of that and do that. Um, what are other f- science fiction or fantasy shows that you've enjoyed? Wow. Um, a lot. So the expanse is a big one, although the expanse I have, I'm not completely up to date on it. And I had a love hate relationship with the expanse because right before it came out, the writing project I was working on also took place on the asteroid series. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was a space station there. And so that kind of just like killed my motivation to do it, even though what I was writing was different and it shouldn't have, it it just, it just did. Sure. So I have a love hate relationship with the expanse. It's great, but uh, it was very, (laughs) I've gone through the first two seasons and Mm -hmm. I need to start the third. Um, So I personally, because I grew up, like I said, I, I was born in 59 
graduate high school 77, the Apollo missions Mm -hmm. was my jam. I mean, I I remember watching the moon mission. I bought Matt Mason astronaut. I bought Apollo, you know, Saturn rocket things. So for all mankind just touches everything that Mm -hmm. I want in that series so you probably would go it's filled with crap jesse <laughs> there's they do everything i have a friend and then i'll let you answer i have a friend who um served two tours on a submarine mm-hmm. and he says i can't watch a submarine movie because mm-hmm. there's just too many things they're doing wrong it yeah. just he says it takes me out of the series totally so uh you may have similar problems with things set in you know, in engineering firms or, you know, on ground control. Yeah. And it, it depends on the movie. It depends on how far into the future it is. You know, the further in the future, the more liberties you can take. But I definitely think, you know, you really, they really do need to have some good grounding in current stuff though, you know, and I get taken out randomly with details. And I'm probably the most forgiving person I know with the, <laughs> with this stuff. Like, Again, I, I have friends who they will get all upset when there's sound in space. And I'm like, oh, come on, it's a movie. It'd be boring if there's no sound in space, right? But the thing that brought me out, the, the one that that really gets me and, and it irks me every time I, I think about it or hear it is, so there was that movie and it wasn't even like really a, a true space science fiction movie. It was just a, a movie, but Enemy of the State with Will Wheaton. Um, not, well, I'm sorry, Will Wheaton <laughs> with yeah. Will Smith. Yes. Um, my bad. Uh so there's a scene where they're in a mission control center and they're talking about moving this satellite that is, I think the, the, the line they actually use, it's like hovering 200 miles over Washington, D.C., but they call it a geosynchronous satellite hovering 200 miles over Washington, D.C. That's a contradiction of terms. And that just irked me because it was so jarring. It was so wrong. It was so easy to fix if they had anyone remotely in the industry looking at the script. And it could have easily been fixed just by just take the word geosynchronous out. I can deal with the whole concept of hovering, you know, saying a satellite is hovering over 200 miles, even though that's not quite right. I can let that go. But the fact that they completely contradicted themselves right in that line and they could have so easily avoided it, that that gets me. (laughs) Yeah. So I was, I spent some time um, selling car insurance. Uh, I was, I worked at an an auto insurance agency and I uh, was a sales rep over the phone. So um, people, you know, call in to get, you know, um, quotes and everything. And so, um, so we're at, um, the um well, why am i drawing a blank on the michael douglas um um the where the crazy lady you know um dangerous liaisons or no not dangerous liaisons um now i'm gonna have to look this up real quick and make a note to do this up and um so i'm afraid to glenn guess close. you said crazy la- oh, yeah, okay. glenn, yeah glenn close and uh yeah um you know, the, uh, what is Glenn Close? Um, the uh, Fatal Attraction. That was it. Oh, okay, fatal okay. Attraction. Okay. So there is a scene where um, they destroy 
Michael Douglas's wife's car. They, mm-hmm. you know, they vandalized it. And then later in the movie, um, she gets in a wreck. Mm-hmm. And my thought was, wow, their insurance is going to get canceled with two claims that happened that close <laughs> to each other. <laughs> because I couldn't turn off my real world. Right. You know? and, and so, yes, I can imagine like, no, that word doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. That That's very good. But there um, are enough movies that do enough right. Right. That, and, and so they get a little bit wrong. I'm not I don't get yeah. too upset. Like movies like Gravity. Yeah, um, that was that was great. You know, it was not perfect, but it was it was good enough that I really enjoyed gravity. You know, stuff like that I can I can definitely get into and I can appreciate that they they tried and mm-hmm. I can appreciate that I, I can appreciate what went into that. And so when a move when there's a movie like that where you know they worked hard to really try to get everything right, yeah, and maybe there's a liberty taken just because it is a movie and you have to take some liberties because it is a movie, right. I can I'm okay with that. <laughs> A few years ago, I was down at a comic book convention or a pop culture convention in Houston, and they had a couple of astronauts from NASA were, you know, appearing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was able to, um, they, I, I do a Doctor Who podcast as well. So we were, I had credentials and so I was interviewing mm-hmm. people. And um, so I was talking to the astronaut and I had just read the Martian Mm -hmm. and I said I just got to ask you you know how how close is it he said it's so darn close Mm -hmm. he says and he said and in the he says I don't even want to give you a percentage of what's wrong because the percentage that's not there is what it should be like it's Mm -hmm. close enough that you're like I see what he was doing he said it he said, we are big fans of that novel, you know, in NASA. Yeah. So, yeah, that was, a, that was done so well. You know, when I read, when I read the Martian, it was knowing that the movie was coming out right. soon and all I could think of is, oh my God, what are they going to cut from that? You know, cause there's no way in translating the book to a movie that they were going to really right. capture everything. You, you can't, you know, because you just can't, you just don't have time in a movie to do that. So yeah. all I could think was, oh my God, what wonderful stuff are they going to cut to make the movie work? And the mm-hmm. movie was okay. I still, I still enjoyed the movie definitely, yes. but, but yeah, no, that book was fantastic. And his newer one, Project Hail Mary. Uh, if, if you have read the Martian and you haven't yet read Project Hail Mary, you're going to love Project Hail Mary. Everyone it, loves it. <laughs> yeah. I, it, it is just truly amazing. And, and, a unique perspective mm-hmm. and a unique concept of the sun's dying. What do we do? You yes. know, and, and, um, and the idea of there is that not spoilerish, but to say, Hey, when we weren't even trying to have global warning, we were able to do mm-hmm. it. What do you think we can do if we haven't read our mind on it? You right, know, right. is just fascinating. Yeah. So again, So to dance around, to not do a spoiler, but my favorite stuff is what the other, the other interesting characters in the book. Yes. I'm like, that was amazing. That, that was truly amazing. Yeah. And, and the way you pay it off and, and Mm -hmm. you, you know, I remember in an interview with Andy Weir, he said, yes, it luckily in the Martian, I made my um, character 
a botanist. So therefore, mm-hmm. you know, he could grow the potatoes, right? Right. He says, okay, fine. You want to pick at me? Fine. <laughs> but, you know, I, I had to have an angle to make mm-hmm. the story work. On this, you, the way there is communication done that um, is it's believable and it's mm-hmm. interesting. I also, I also like the hero's journey that our main character is in mm-hmm. there. You would, you wouldn't think that was it. And you get the, there's a, a without spoiling, but um, our hero wakes up and doesn't know anything. And they, that's explained later in the book, but he is on a journey. He is on a journey of not just trying to save earth, but also a journey of his of himself mm-hmm. and and i think that was really fun and creative it made for a good story mm-hmm. and, and i love the ending I, I love the idea that we're doing that so i, I totally agree with you yeah it was a absolutely book. yeah um so i'm gonna go back just for music or mm-hmm. and then talk as a parent what are you what how are you what kind of music are you exposing the kids to and what kind of you know, love of science and love of reading are you doing? It sounds like they're both pretty young, but mm-hmm. what, what's your thoughts on that? So I have an 11-year-old and a three-year-old. Okay. So we're at, we're at different stages with, with both of them. So when I had my, when my 11-year-old was three, when he was young, my original take on music was we were just going to listen to my music or at least okay. my music that's clean. Sure. <laughs> uh, because I used to listen to Sublime and some other bands that, you know, I'm not going to play for my, my young child, but we would listen to the Beatles. We would listen to classic rock. We listen to still my stuff. And uh, I don't think any of that has rubbed off on him. <laughs> okay. Yes. Although there, there are some modern groups that I think we, we all in the household generally enjoy. I think we all like Imagine Dragons. Um, my son is listening to AJR and, okay. and I can, and I'm okay with that. You know, I, I can. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm fine. Um, but yeah, but he's definitely on, at this point on his own, you know, journey, but it, it is funny because we have like a, a, a Google mini so we can call up whatever we want. And so we have argument, not arguments, but I'll start something and he'll say, Google, skip. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be in the car and I have my playlist on and he'll like, again, be Google, skip, yeah. you know, and we have, uh, we, we have that. So, yeah. So, the, and, and that's kind of normal, uh, I, I guess, you know, normal stuff for parents and kids to go for. Go well, through. I, I love this uh, Penn Gillette from Penn and Teller tells the story that he is happy that his kids don't like classic rock mm-hmm. because he said the whole purpose of rock and roll is your parents <laughs> should hate it. And so I don't want my kids while listening to the Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. I want them to be unhappy that I'm, I'm playing Bob Dylan, you know, because that's the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely. Then my other favorite story is, um, Chris is my son and he um, was going through um, a Metallica phase, but also an Eminem phase. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Linda, my wife had listened, had the Eminem CD and was so appalled by it that, you know, she took it out of the CD player and threw it out the window and Chris like that wasn't my CD <laughs> that was my friend's CD That's funny. And, and my and one of my best friends at work says I've heard your wife 
she does not have a Walmart uh, official <laughs> vocabulary. Like Walmart would not approve your wife's mm-hmm. vocabulary. I find it a little ironic that she's offended by, but it wasn't so much the curse words. It was the themes that she mm-hmm. was on. Uh, yeah. She is late. She is now has learned to embrace some of that, but it is interesting that what you do and um well yeah my yeah. my child doesn't know anything about frank zappa and it's gonna be a while before yes he listens to it in fact it took me a while actually when i first heard frank zappa i was yeah. i was i was offended because that's what i thought i needed to be because yeah. but then uh when i really learned about him and behind the music that's that's kind of what turned me uh, around on that yeah. yeah my son is my son is way too young for that but something that does skirt the the edge there. And actually that we, we do both enjoy uh, we became humongous fans of Hamilton. Yes. And so, you know, even though, you know, I, I moved out of New York a long time ago and with that, I'm not exposed to as much Broadway stuff as I, I felt like I was growing up, but you know, Hamilton did come here to my house <laughs> and I am, I mean, I became a complete American, you know, history, like Revolutionary War history buff because of it. And we will listen to it. And there's some some inappropriate words, which yes. my my son, he's at that age where it's funny. And he's like, oh, my God, they said that, you know, so yeah. it's, it's fine. He, he he understands. And even some of the the, the things that they're singing about, um, he, I think, knows a couple, but doesn't know yeah. all of them. <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm. but we both, uh, you know, we, we we definitely enjoy that um, together. Yeah. So, so I was Brent Spiner was at a convention here in Dallas, mm-hmm. and uh, I have a good friend named Tom Zoller who is an artist, and um, he does Love and Capes, and he's done My Little, he's written My Little Pony stories, and um, and so one of the things we have we have done over the years is um i will send a sketchbook to tom and tom will do a caricature of an of an actor who's going to be at a convention Mm -hmm. and then instead of buying an eight by ten you know picture that i just throw in a folder i have a scrapbook and so um and so he did um brent as um john hancock from because he was in 1776 he did the revival and um so i'm standing in line and i give this to brent and he's like oh my god i love this he's this Mm -hmm. is amazing what what thought of this and i told him i said well my friend tom we always try to figure out something like the the three actresses that were in bird of prey you know the cw the wb show Mm -hmm. um he drew all three of them as characters and he had them barbie dolls action figures of their characters so -hmm. they had them all three at the table with the characters and they were at a convention at dragon con and they loved it so anyway brent's like well would he do a would he do a sketch for me and i said i'm sure he would and so i told him how much i loved 1776 and he said have you seen hamilton mm-hmm. like no no he says okay go buy the cd he said because it's going to end up touring mm-hmm. and you're going to see it and you're going to love it he said if you love 1776 you are going to love hamilton so i did buy the cd and i listened to it a little bit and then uh when it came out on um you know i guess disney right mm-hmm. or, or, yes. yeah yeah and um so you know i i watched it and i was like 
I really enjoyed it. And then I told my wife, I said, I think you will like this. I said, I think if we put, I said, closed captioning helps because Mm -hmm. they talk fast. They Mm -hmm. speak fast. And she, she was captivated. She was like, this has been, she goes, I understand every storyline. I understand the music is amazing. It Mm -hmm. was everything. So yeah, that's, I think that's funny that great art can run through Mm -hmm. the different generations. Yes. And uh, yeah, it was completely amazing. And when it came out on, on Disney plus last year and watched it. So I have been to, you know, my, my share of Broadway shows growing up, that was a thing thing to do. And I, I I just, this is how I want to watch it. You know, seeing it where you really are seeing them close up and in that way, that's how I want to watch Broadway musicals from now now on. I just, I want to see it like that. And uh, just, to put this uh, story just to bed, just because you will be one of the few people to understand <laughs> this. So we're going to, um, we're going to New York for the first time. And um, I go to TKTS to get tickets and they had Chicago tickets. Mm-hmm. And we're like, this was before the movie had come out. And so we're like, okay. And the big deal was uh, George Hamilton was playing the lawyer. You know, that was mm-hmm. the big star. And we're like, well, I've heard this is a really good play. Let's get it. So um, Nana Visitor was playing Voxy. (laughs) And so I was like, look, look. (laughs) And Linda's like, has no idea because she's never watched D Space Nine. She has no Mm -hmm. idea. I'm like, you don't understand, Linda. This is, oh my goodness. And so um, once again at Dragon Con, uh, she was there. And I stood in line and I said, mm-hmm. I, I need to tell you the story. And she goes, what? And I said, like, I saw you on Broadway. Oh, you did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She goes, oh, I had so much fun. I go, yeah. And I said, and so you will always be my Roxy. And she goes, oh, uh-huh. that's one of the best compliments I've ever had. So awesome. Yeah. So I was just this, this whole little, the inner Star Trek geek in me was mm-hmm. going, it, look, it's Major Kira. It's Major Kira. <laughs> so, that's fantastic. Um, all right, so uh, Ediana, what what should I have asked you that I haven't, as we've talked over an hour? <laughs> so what I was uh, was wondering if you were going to ask me what my actual favorite Bruce Springsteen song is, even though I know my answer is completely ridiculous. <laughs> no, not at all. Please let's <laughs> let's talk a little Bruce. Uh, this is I don't know if anyone has ever told you this before, and is this going to sound completely ridiculous? But it's absolutely true. The Santa Claus is coming to town song. So it is, it, it, the, the reason I'm laughing is I do another podcast called How Many? Mm-hmm. And it's basically an excuse for me and four, three or four of my friends to get together and we pick a, um, like, how many, um, Frank Zappa, how many good songs does Frank Zappa mm-hmm. have? And so we would talk about, you know, and then, or Queen, how many, mm-hmm. like, you know, here is this, or, um, you know, uh, how many, you know, will Spike Lee films that he's directed, would you say are actually good? So we debate mm-hmm. this pop culture. And so, and Junior is one of the hosts and he'll like, you know, he'll mention Iron Maiden. Okay. You know, well, they've got 13. 
you know, like just, mm-hmm. he just picks a number right off hand. And so, and he always says to Bruce Springsteen, so what does he do after he comes on stage as Santa Claus is coming to town? <laughs> what does he play next? <laughs> like, you know, right. like, you know, like, I guess he can do dancing in the dark, but then, you know, what else is he going to do? Mm-hmm. So um, every time, and, and we've actually, I have a couple of listeners who will say, Oh yeah, Junior's favorite Bruce Springsteen song is "Santa Claus is Coming to Town." So yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, it, it's been there my entire life. Yes, literally. So I think I recently learned that that particular recording, the one that the iconic recording that we hear every year, yeah. was done in 1975. And yes. So literally, my entire life, that's been yes. there. And re- and when when Christmas time comes around, when the holidays come around, I really just want. Those those same like dozen or two songs that I listened yes. to growing up. Uh, that's all I want. I don't want the new. I don't want anything new. I just want those old. So to me, and I, um, I grew up in. My dad was in the army. We moved around a lot, but by the time I was, you know, in the a freshman, we were living in Lake Charles, Louisiana, and um, the um, "Please Come Home for Christmas" by Charles Brown. Mm-hmm. was it wasn't Christmas till December 1st and the local AM station ding ding mm-hmm. ding bells will be ringing mm-hmm. that's when it was Christmas right. so there are that things where you hear you know oh Clarence you're gonna get a new saxophone I mean you know and it, <laughs> and I want that beginning yep. I want yep. I want just I want that whole story so yep. absolutely that's a great choice that is good. So, um, all right, before I let you go and thank you, you've been so kind with your time. Um, I have to ask you the merry question. So, um, for those of you who are listening to this podcast, because you either work with Adina or you are fans of her novel, uh, you're probably going, what's the Mary question? Well, uh, Jay Armstrong is an honors English teacher from the Philadelphia area. He just recently retired. Uh, and he would every year he would have his seniors in high school spend two days breaking apart the song Thunder Road by Bruce Springsteen. They go through all the lyrics, they look at the imagery, they talk about the um, the themes that he's exploring, and then they compare it to Robert Frost, The Road Not Taken, and other American poems and English poems. And then at the end of the two days, Jay asks the question to his class, does Mary get in the car? So your homework was listen mm-hmm. to Thunder Road and come up with the answer. So does Mary get in the car? Oh. So I listened to the song many, many times. It's a really great song. So it's, it's wonderful to listen to. And I read the lyrics and I even, if you go on YouTube, you can, you know, watch the song, watch the lyrics play with the song, which I think is, I feel is a great way to do this. Absolutely. The interesting thing for me when I think about this is the, we're being told this story through Bruce's perspective, not through Mary's perspective, we don't, we don't really, we only know Mary through Bruce and through not just what he sees, but what he's telling us or what he wants to see. So the question I have is, is he seeing Mary or is he seeing the Mary he wants to see? If he's seeing the Mary he wants to see, she goes with him because it's all what he wants. Yes. It's not necessarily what, what she wants or who she is. But because we, you know, so that's it. So if it, if it is him, it, yeah, she goes. 
If not, then I don't know because I don't know how to know because I don't know how to know Mary. Yeah. Because I, I don't know Mary. <laughs> no, I think that's a great answer. Um, so first off, I will, um, I will send you a couple of links. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a guy um, a couple of years ago, I cannot think of his name, but he wrote a column, Thunder Road from Mary's Perspective. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, um, and it's like, um, I, you know, um, you know, here he is bragging about his car again, <laughs> like that piece of junk. And as if I didn't know he's right. with me with Rosalita. <laughs> so anyway, there, there is, and I, I was, I had a friend of mine, I asked his permission and he said, absolutely. So I, I took Thunder Road and I spliced my friend reading this column mm-hmm. into it. So it's Mary's answer to Thunder Road. So I will send you that just so you get the perspective. It's hilarious. Awesome. Um, it is. It is when you put your, you know, when you change perspective, it's amazing how things change. There was that movie a couple of years ago, um, Passengers with yes. Chris Pratt in it. Yeah. And I really enjoyed the movie. And then I saw some, um, oh, some YouTube channel where they're talking about it and they, and I hadn't thought about this. But they mentioned, well, imagine the movie from the girl's perspective. She wakes up to this, like, basically this complete lunatic and, and everything. And that completely, like, undid the movie for me. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't prepared to really think about that movie in that different way. Um, but ever yeah. since then, yes. Like, yeah, perspective is everything. So I, I have another, uh, I had um, a, a, another podcast host that had never heard the song. Mm-hmm. And she did not listen to the song. She just read the lyrics. Mm. And she sent me that, no, it's a murder. Like, if she gets in the car, he's going to kill her. <laughs> that's actually, that's really funny because uh, just a little while ago, before we got on the phone here, I was yeah. out the store with my older son. So he's 11. Yes. So we're in the car and it came because I had it in my playlist. It came on. Yeah. And I was like, no, 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 no. We have to listen to this because I have to answer the question. Like, does she get in the car with him? And, and I didn't, we, he didn't really hear many of the lyrics, but his just reaction when I said, does she get in the car with him was like, he was like, no, that's weird. He's a weirdo. <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't know anything about Springsteen and the lyrics, anything. Yeah. He just, his reaction to yeah. someone getting in the car with someone else is no, that's yeah. weird. So um, I have a couple of answers that I love. One of them is um and, and if you're a, if you if you're heavy into springsteen there it, racing in the street has a line where um he talks about his wife sits on her the porch of her dad you know sits on her daddy's porch and mm-hmm. they go oh that's mary because she was dancing on the porch uh but truly one of my favorite answers was a guy said it depends if it's the e street band doing it Mm-hmm. absolutely she gets in the car because it ends <laughs> with the triumphant and music mm-hmm. but if it's bruce doing it solo no she doesn't ah, get in the car because he's sad and entered so yeah mm-hmm. so uh, i will send you a couple links of that okay. um I, I cannot wait to read your novel um promise me when the second one comes out you'll come in and we can promote it absolutely and uh, we will, I don't know, maybe we'll do a wrap up of Lower Decks or something because this was too much fun. Sure, um, no, happy to yeah. do that. If someone wants to reach you, how can they? The best way is to find me on Twitter initially. And it's my handle, Twitter handle is my first name, A-D-E-E-N-A. Okay. And from there, you can find my website, which, you know, my last name is harder to spell or remember. So 
Okay. <laughs> find me on Twitter and then you can find me anywhere. Okay. Sounds good. Um, I will do this. I absolutely just have loved talking to you. It's been so much fun. This has been fun. Thank you. Yeah, well, I'm glad you had a good time. Um, listeners go check out crazy foolish robots um in check out the book I, I i am it is next on my to read list and i am i am thrilled i may have you back on just to go hey i just sure. want to talk about the book <laughs> uh so please believe in science go get vaccinated yes go until you're vaccinated or even after you're vaccinated you can still wear your mask yep. you can still social distance you can still wash your hands um, we got to get back to normal. And the only way we're going to mm-hmm. do that is by being good to each other. Yes. So please take care of that. Um, if you have any, uh, reach out, let me know if you have any questions for now. Take care. We will talk to you soon. And thank you so much. Thank you. Doing a podcast at times can be a one-way conversation. And I hate that. So please let me know what you like and don't like about the work I'm doing. You can reach the podcast via email at setlustingbruce at gmail.com. The show is on Twitter at setlustingbruce, and my personal Twitter is at jessejacksondfw. We have a website, www.setlustingbruce.com. From there, you can find links to other Springsteen podcasts as well as other music-themed podcasts. We have a page devoted to our own SLB All-Star Band. These are guests who have been on the podcast more than three times. There is a link to our store where you can purchase Set Lessing Brew shirts, as well as a Mary Question t-shirt. There is a link to our Patreon page where you can sign up to help support the podcast financially. We have different levels and different rewards based on your support. If you don't have any extra cash, and right now who does, you can support the podcast by subscribing via your favorite podcast player and leaving us a review. The more reviews we have, the easier it is for people to find us. And please tell a friend about the podcast, especially if they love Bruce or music, because it will make a difference. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only. That listening Bruce. The theme for Set Lessing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hanson, Scott Barrett. 
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Points.